Well, uh, thank you for, for being here. You know, I was really, uh, really, really looking forward to this Sunday for a long time. I had it marked on my planner for a few months because uh, a few months ago, my, my friend, Pastor Sam, uh, said, hey, you know what, uh, Alice and myself and my girls, Olivia and Natalie, are going to be down here in Orlando. And um, just on vacation, so I asked, would you like to preach? Uh, and he said, yeah. And so as of last week, we're all set to have uh, Pastor Sam, one of my dear brothers and great uh, communicators of God's word, uh, preach the word. Uh, and then last week happened. Last week where um, a week ago Friday, uh, downtown Orlando, 22-year-old, a rising star in the music scene, one of us, family member, follower of Christ, uh, 22-year-old Christina Grimmy was uh, shot dead a few minutes after she'd finished a concert bringing the hope of Christ to a city that needed to hear hope. And last week, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, some of us heard a little two-year-old boy on vacation. Nobody expects to go as a family of X number and then to go home, a family of X minus one. Little boy stolen from his family through the jaws of a gator, found dead the next later couple days. A week ago this morning, we woke up to the news. A crazy, tortured, tormented soul. Hate crime against the most vulnerable in our society. Some of the most vulnerable in our society. Demonic act of injustice to steal, kill, destroy the lives of at least 50 people. Some of the hardest days that our city has been through. And... You know, as I thought about this, I was waiting and talking with Pastor Sam. I said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know uh, as I think and as I pray and as I process through these things if, um, if this is something I, I need to, to talk about, if it's something I need to address, or if you know, we can continue to have you as planned. And um, just felt like, yeah, I, I need to address this stuff because this is our city and it's our people and it's where we are and it's where the Lord has us to be. And I know in the aftermath of all of these things, I, I tried hard. I tried very hard not to uh, read the stories of the people. I tried hard not to look at their faces and not to read the list of names because I knew that if I did, it would humanize them. And it would go from just this act of senseless and stupid injustice to becoming like real people. And real families who will wake up today on Father's Day feeling a whole lot less celebratory because of what happened a week ago. But I forced myself to read the stories of the best brother a sister could have. And I forced myself to read the stories of a teacher who said he was my all-time favorite student. The superhero of our family. There was no one like him. I forced myself to read stories of people he would have, at the drop of a hat, helped anybody as they had need. Because then I realized that this is on me too. That this is not just something that rocks the LGBTQ community, not just something that's about a hate crime, but it affects all of us. The great poet John Donne said back in the day, hey, you know what, when the bell tolls, as it did for 49 people. Don't ask for whom it tolls. It tolls for us. Because no man, no woman is an island. 
separate of themselves. When the bell tolls for somebody, it tolls for all of us. And I forced myself to look at these things because I needed to realize that this affects anybody who cares or loves humanity. This was a very hard week for our city. We've been through a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of question. Why? Where's God? Why in our city? Why in our backyard? What about gun control? What about the LGBT community? How do we as a church respond to them? What about Islam? What about terrorists? Are we safe here? All these questions have been asked, and you know what? They will not stop being asked. It's not the last time people are going to ask these questions. And it's not the first time either. We're not going to answer all of these questions. In fact, we probably, I probably won't answer any of these questions. But what I will do is I want to carry the conversation by understanding and helping us to understand that these questions have been asked for a long, long time. And they were asked, as we're going to look at today, by a group of people who in a similar time of turmoil and confusion and chaos were wondering, what am I supposed to do in such a time as this? I want to look at Jeremiah 29. Uh, It's a somewhat famous passage because if you've ever graduated, somebody might have quoted a verse from Jeremiah 29. But I want to say that Jeremiah 29 was written not in a time of excitement and celebration, but in a time of deep chaos, of pain, of confusion, of loss, where people didn't know where to go. In, In the year 605, 605 years before Jesus came to this earth, The people of God were settled in Jerusalem when the evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, the most evil empire, the Babylonian empire, came and attacked the city and deported 4,000 of the best and the brightest people away from their home to Babylon, the evil empire of the day. Eight years later, about 597 before Christ, a similar thing happened, sacking the city, deporting uh, several more thousand people. And then in 586 BC, the final devastation of jerusalem as they knew it at the time through the hands of the babylonians and all who were there were deported to babylon jeremiah is writing after that initial deportation so after the first group of several thousand people have gone to live in babylon their bags were not yet unpacked they're thinking we're not going to be here a very long time because as it stood that day their city was still there their home was still there Their family members were still there. Their friends were still there. There was hope in their minds that we're going to go back. In fact, the false prophets had told them, two years and you're going back at the max. You'll be back in two years. And so with their suitcases still full of all of the stuff that they'd taken with them, the word of God comes from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. And this is God's word for the people of God then and for the people of God today. This is what the Lord Almighty The God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. 
when 70 years, not two, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is God's word. So what is this word? Uh, What is this passage hundreds of years ago? tell us about our context, our situation today. That's three simple thoughts. But the first thought is that God put you here for such a time as this. God put you here for such a time as this. Do you know that everything in your life that has happened, I was sharing with somebody at at Starbucks earlier this week. Did you know that everything that's happened in your life, everything that happened before you were even born has divinely orchestrated all these events so that you would be sitting right here where you are right now at this point in human history. You could have been anywhere else, okay? You could have been anywhere else, but God has you here right now. In the same way, you and I are here, if you live here, we are here for such a time as this. Think about this. If someone asks you, what brought you to Orlando? It could be a million different things. Got rejected from every other school. I married somebody from Orlando. Uh, My job relocated me out here. I came here kicking and screaming. Whatever, Whatever the case may be, you're here. And what Jeremiah 29 says is that you're here because God wants you to be here. You could be here and you could be thinking one of two things. I'm here. And I'm going to hate being here. That's cool. You can live that way, but there's a better way to live. You can say, I'm here, and I'm going to make the most of it because I know that God has brought me here. The circumstances surrounding the Israelites being in Babylon was not very good. Their homes, their lands, their people have been crushed, and they were deported to an unfamiliar place. Can you imagine being brought from Orlando to some faraway land where it's evil and it's awful and it's terrible and that's not your home? That's where these people were living. And yet it says in verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel says to those I carried into exile. Right? Constantly, three times throughout this passage, you read it. He says, I did this. I brought you here. I took you from where you were and I planted you where you are right now. And you're going to be here for a while. The false prophets in the chapter earlier said you're going to be here for two years. God says, no, unpack your bags. Because you're going to be here. Build houses, settle down, marry, have children, marry them off, increase in number. Because you're going to be here for a little bit. This is your home because I've brought you here. And whether you're here for 70 years or not, we have to live as if We're going to be here for a long time. Live with a long-term vision, with a long-term view in mind, because unless we do, we will never fully live in the place where we are. When I went to the university that I went to my first year in college, I was very excited to get there, but within a semester, my first semester, and some of you heard me say this, but my first semester there, I didn't like being there. I didn't like it because... 
uh, there was, I was not getting enough attention. There's too many first-year guys in that class, and so I didn't get the attention that I wanted. I didn't like the caliber of basketball players that were here. I didn't like some of the things. That were, I didn't, there was a lot of stuff that I said I didn't like, and so I started saying, you know what? Uh, I don't like it here. Hey, how's your first year going? I don't like it. I'm going to transfer. I'm going to go to a different school. I'm going to go to another school. You know what? I'm looking into getting the paperwork. And it was a few, a few weeks and, and months of doing this when an older sister sat me down and, and they said, you know what? You're not going to transfer. You're all talk. You need, to, you need to grow up a little bit and understand that you're here for a reason. You're going to be here at least this one year before you do anything. You need to understand that God's planted you here and you need to bloom where God's planted you. I needed to realize that that's the very place that God had me to be. And I could be there and I could kick and scream and say, I don't like being here. Or I could realize that it's for such a time as that, that I was there and I could bloom where I was planted. You may not like the set of circumstances that brought you here to Orlando, but the reality is that you're here. And until the Lord says, go, this is your home. And it's for such a time as this, that you and I are here. We're here because God wants us to be here for a purpose. I, I don't know if you guys remember, we had a, a friend, a brother on staff with us some years ago. He left, I think, in 2005. His name was Paul Trudeau, a friend of mine from Virginia. He was doing middle school ministry here with us. Uh, and after he graduated from seminary, he went out and sensed a very clear call to go to San Francisco to live amongst the most unreached, unchurched, most pagan worldview people that America has. And so he moved and he lived in the city with his wife, Liz. And within a few months of being there, within a year or so of being there, I remember uh, hearing that uh, something had happened to Paul. He was walking with, uh, with Liz. I think they were walking their dog in the city, San Francisco. And there was a guy who was uh, doing graffiti and he was vandalizing some of the, some of the areas in one of the, the, the local parks. And Liz, a uh, very strong uh, she went to Georgetown successful, and she wasn't one to, to keep quiet about things like that. She said to the guy, she said, I wouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's not the right thing to do. And this guy who was vandalizing turned around, and he swung, and he hit Liz. And so Paul, like every man would do, stepped in between the two, and out of the bushes, three other guys came, and the four of them jumped Paul. They beat him up, sent him to the hospital. And one of my other buddies was visiting Paul in the hospital, and he said, how do you feel? And you must be so mad. Be so angry. And he's just encouraging him, you know, just be, be honest about what you're thinking, what you're going through. And I'll never forget what Paul said. Paul said, this city is still beautiful to me. This city is still beautiful to me. I could get angry. And I can harden my heart towards all of the brokenness and the injustice in this city. But that will keep me from loving the city and realizing the purpose for which I've been called here. This city is still beautiful to me. How do you feel about your city? Is the city beautiful to you? Amidst all that we've been through? Do you still love the city beautiful? after all of sin's ravaging and all of the attacks in the city, because if we don't, we're not going to be able to understand. See, when we begin to realize that God has me here for a purpose, 
for such a time as this. It could, this attack could have happened anywhere else in the world. But it happened here. Why? I don't know why, but I do know that God has you and me here for a purpose. Because there are people who are hurting in our city who need the hope of Christ that you and I claim to have. That there's people here who are broken and they're lost and they're seeking and they're searching for something that they haven't been able to find elsewhere. And we're here for such a time as this. My professor said, you know what? One of my professors in seminary said, every time an unbeliever goes through hardship, the Lord God graciously allows a believer to go through a similar hardship in order that the unbelieving world can see the difference in how we respond. So when, so Christina Grimmie was doing this show in Orlando. Was at a, we were at a vigil, uh, at a worship service, and um, the pastor, uh, some of her band members attend First Presbyterian Church of Orlando, one of our, our uh, used to be in our presbytery. And they're talking about how uh, after the, sh- the, the show, they were talking, and everybody was say, who knew her said, man, Christina is just like, she's in rare form. She's in, I mean, she is on top of her game, and they're just praising, and she's got a, a destiny and a future, and she was just like floating. After the show was done, they said, let's, let's pray. We want to pray that God is going to continue to use you and use your life, and they prayed for her, and she received that, and she said, thank you so much. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go meet these people. I'm going to give them hope. I'm going to sign autographs. I'm going to take pictures. Five minutes later, she was shot. But as people, you know, we can always look back on, on things. They said, you know, we believe that that time of prayer really prepared her, gave her the grace for what was to come. And then the aftermath of that songs of her hope in Christ alone, like that song just is viral, blowing up everyone's internet feeds. People need to see the way that we grieve and mourn, the way that we suffer and endure loss is honest and real, but it's different. Because there's a hope. The Lord has you and me here in this city for such a time as this because there's a need in our city for people to arise and to be the hope of Christ. First thing that we see that God has us here for such a time as this. The second thing that we see is that we are called to seek the well-being, the shalom of our city. We're called to seek the well-being of our city. What does that mean? He says in... He says in verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity. If you look at the literal word, the peace and prosperity, some people have translated it, the welfare of the city. Um, the Hebrew word is shalom. Okay, seek the shalom of the city. Seek the blessing of the city. Let me uh, try and explain what shalom is by a uh, couple quotes here. One, a little bit more theoretical, and the other one is a, is, is a lot more practical and applicational in terms of what it could look like. <clears throat> Neil Plantinga, he defines shalom as the webbing together. So when people say it in, um, in, uh, in Jewish cultures, they usually, it just means peace. Okay. But he's not just saying let's not fight with each other. Let's be, it's talking about an, a, a complete harmony amongst every living thing, amongst all of creation, amongst God and all of these things and the way that the world was supposed to be. Plantinga says it's the webbing together of God and humans and all creation in justice fulfillment, and delight. He says, seek that for your city, that God, your city, the people would be woven together in harmony and justice and beauty. So let me 
trying to explain, uh, John Ortberg describes, if a city, a world, had shalom, right? If shalom ruled over a city, this is what it would look like. He said, in a world where peace and prosperity, welfare, um, all marriages would be healthy and all children would be safe. Okay? This is what he's telling us to seek for our city. Those who have too much would give to those who have too little. Israeli and Palestinian children would play together on the West Bank. Their parents would build homes for one another. In offices and corporate boardrooms, executives would secretly scheme to help their colleagues succeed. They would compliment them behind their backs. Tabloids would be filled with accounts of courage and moral beauty. Talk shows would feature mothers and daughters who love each other deeply. Wives who give birth to their husband's children and men who secretly enjoy dressing as men. Disagreements would be settled with grace and civility. There would still be lawyers, perhaps, but they would have really useful jobs like delivering pizza, which would be non-fat and low in cholesterol. Doors would have no locks. Cars would have no alarms. Schools would no longer need police presence or even hall monitors. Uh, Students and teachers and janitors would honor and value one another's work. At recess, every kid would get picked for a team. Churches would never split. People would be neither bored nor hurried. No father would ever say again, I'm too busy to a disappointed child. Our national sleep deficit would be paid off. Starbucks would still exist, but would only sell decaf. Divorce courts and battered women's shelters would be turned into community recreation centers. Every time one being human being touched another, it would be to express encouragement, affection, and delight. No one would ever be lonely or afraid. Isn't that what our city needs? To seek the well-being, to seek the shalom of our city. Can you imagine what the ancient Israelites would be thinking when God sends them to the most evil of kingdoms and God says, seek the shalom of the city? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me to seek their well-being, to seek their welfare? God says, yeah, that's why I've put you there. You're there for a purpose for such a time as this. St. Augustine said years and years ago, in every city, the city of man and the city of God are vying for control. And he says the church, the Christians have been put in the city of man in order to build the city of God as a counterculture to our city. He said those who are citizens of the city of God ought to be the best citizens in the city of man because we seek It's welfare and shalom. That's why we're here. All of a sudden, it's not about what's in it for me. I moved to Orlando because the beaches, because of the parks, because there's no state income tax, because all of these perks, the weather is great. I don't ever have to wear a furry jacket ever. He's saying, no, 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 no. Think again. You're not there to use the resources of the city for your own gain, but you're here in order to seek the welfare and the shalom of the city, including its inhabitants. This will never happen. man. I believe, if anything, if anything, right, two of the most 
touchstone issues in our day, terrorism and radical Islam, and how we relate to the LGBTQ community are the defining values, are the defining statements that a church can make right now. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this happened at a gay club. Because all of a sudden, opportunities are opening up all around. We have to understand something. So uh, Wednesday night, I came, we had a time of prayer for, for our city and other things on Wednesday night. And then I went home, and I'm a huge baseball fan. Baltimore Orioles, love them, love them. Official team of Harvest, you guys know this. I went home. Manny was in her bed. Elijah was already asleep. So I went in to, to kiss Manny goodnight. And she said, Daddy, Daddy, did the Orioles play tonight? Trained her well, right? I said, Manny, uh, no, she said, did the Orioles have a game tonight? I said, yeah, we, we, uh, we have a game. I said, we have a game tonight. And she said, who are, who are we playing? I said, playing the Boston Red Sox. She said, did we win? I said, it's not over. She said, are we winning? I said, no. She said, who's winning? This is what I said. I said, the bad guys are winning. <laughs> and she said, Daddy, just because you don't like them doesn't mean they do bad things. So I said, Manny, go to sleep. <laughs> I, said, I said, Manny, you're right. You're right. We live in a world that is very good at categorizing us and them. And if they don't agree with us, then they're the bad one. When Jesus lived his life, there were people like that. They were called the Pharisees. They said, we are the religious ones. They don't have it right. They are sinners. They are tax collectors. They are adulterers. They are fornicators. They do bad things. They are wrong. Every time we think us and them, we define by right and wrong. But you notice that Jesus did not define that way. His wasn't us and them. It was us and future us. It was us and one day they will be us. It was us and people that we are praying to be us. Why? Because he wasn't about right and wrong. He was about love. And when you love, you don't create these us versus them distinctions. What we do often is we create this dichotomy where we separate ourselves from the community of sinners and we put the people who don't agree with us outside of the community of humanity. And as a church as a whole, not everybody, obviously, but many times the perception of the LGBTQ community is that the church is the us and we are the them. But I don't know if Jesus would have pastored and been a member of a church that responded to the community in that way. We were at um, this worship service at First Baptist. Uh, uh, several of our people were there as well. And there was a time where uh, the leaders, the pastors on stage, invited those from the LGBTQ community to come up to the front and just to be hugged and to be prayed for and to be loved. And one of the representatives speaking for them said, this would blow your mind. 
the minds of every LGBTQ person in the organization for which I am a president. They would not dare to believe that this could happen in a church. And I think they say that to our shame. Because we have been really good at, 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 at talking about theology and talking about what's right and wrong. And we have to do that. But at the same time, we have to embody the grace and the truth that Jesus embodies. And I believe that moving forward in our day and in our city, there will be opportunities for us to live out the teachings of Christ. There will be opportunities for us to show our faith in ways that we may not have been able to do before. But the harvest right now is plentiful. And they're open and they're listening and they're watching. And they're hoping that we would get it too. Right? That we would see that Jesus, as much as he loves anyone else, that it was not just the sins of homosexuality that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was my sin of pride and greed, of lust, of shame, of whatever it is that nailed Jesus to the cross. Right? There's nothing that, you know, no sin that anyone else has committed that is any bigger than any sin that I've committed and that we've committed. And community and love and shalom fails when we exclude ourselves from the community of sinners and we exclude others from the community of humanity. This is an opportunity for us to love and to be the hands and feet of Christ to a world that is in need. It's the second thing, the last thing that we see. Uh, the last thing that we see, I don't know how it's phrased in your thing, but um, there is more to the story than what we see now. There's more to the story than what we see now. There's a constant story being told in the news, constant story being told by you know, different people that you hear. But I think the most important thing we have to understand is that there's more to the story than what we see right now. That if God is writing the story, then it's never the end. I think this is what someone defined faith as trusting, thanking, worshiping God when you're still in the middle of the story. The story of our city, obviously not done, but think about that in your own life. Okay, where you are right now is you're in the middle of a story, and that story may not be good. But for all of us, man, there are places in our lives, there are times in our lives where things are really bad in our lives. But we realize that even in the worst part of our lives, that wasn't the end of the story. That was just the middle of it. And faith is trusting, thanking, worshiping God when the story is just in the middle. And God is saying, there's better things that are going to happen. He says, I know, verse 11, the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. Uh, verse 14, I'll be found by you and will bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Because there's more to the story and a better day is coming. But you're there where you are for the next 70 years in order that you might create the shalom of your city. Now, people are doing that. I know you guys are doing that in a lot of different ways. In raising support for broken families and, and, and praying for people in ministry. I know there's a, man, there's a ton of opportunity. Visiting hospitals, there's a ton of work that is being done. That's awesome. It's amazing. 
we live out and we embody the hope of Christ in our world. God's saying, listen, uh, this is how the story continues. It continues through his people. It's always happened that way. In Babylon, the story was not done in exile. The darkest moments of their lives, God's saying, it's not the end. Fast forward seven years, they're going back home. But in the midst of those seven years, what was it that happened? People sought to build their city. What did God do in the next 70 years? He raised people like Daniel to positions of prominence in Babylon so that he could then, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would rise up. The evil king that deported them, Nebuchadnezzar put his faith in the Lord God. And the worship of the true and living God began to spread throughout Babylon and to the nations in which they were sent into exile. The story is not done and the people of God don't run from the flames. We run towards it because we realize that God has put us there where we are to seek its shalom and welfare and the peace and the prosperity of the city. It happened in the days of Jesus. After Jesus died, persecution tried to stamp out this small renegade group of of followers of Jesus Christ, but persecution couldn't stop a God thing and the kingdom of God began to move and to spread and in the course of the next 350 years, The kingdom of God had overtaken the Roman Empire. How? Well, they'll say things like in the year 252, great uh, plague broke out in Carthage. And Cyprian writes about this. He says, the Christians didn't run away with everybody else. They stayed and they took care of the poor and they took care of the sick. And people began to take notice. hundred years later, the emperor Julian, who tried to get rid of Christianity, by the way, said, these are a strange group of people. They not only care for the broken in their midst who typically would be thrown onto the trash heap, but he said they care and they take care and they bring into as their own family our broken and our wounded as well. The people of God were constantly moving to the areas that were afflicted in order to bring and to seek the peace and the shalom of the city. And he says, so it is now. The story of God continues, and this will go in one of two ways. This could be the greatest proliferation of uh, equal rights and and all of that stuff and and tolerance and equality for everybody, or it could be an opportunity because in in the void of a moral conscience, if the church does not rise and be the hands and feet of Christ, then other groups will and other people will. It is pivotal for us to be the church such a time as this. What does it look like for us to love our city? It's realizing that we're here because God brought us here and he called us here. How does Jesus see the city that he was called to love? The week before Jesus died, that last week, knowing he would be crucified, suffer, Jesus wept. But he didn't weep for his own pending fate. He wept for the city, Jerusalem. In fact, three times in the Gospels, Jesus weeps for his city. In fact, when he knows he's going to be sentenced, the daughters of Jerusalem, these women will come around and they will weep for Jesus. And he says, don't cry for me. This is Avita, before Avita. Don't cry for me, Jerusalem. Cry for yourselves and for your daughters and for the generations to come who knew not the Savior who stood in your midst. And Jesus cried over his city. That's what we have to embrace. 
But Jesus not only cried for his city, he would go one step further as he died for his city. For a people undeserving, for a people who are hurting, for people who are broken, for people who disagreed with him, for people who didn't care about him, for people who shut and quieted the voice that he had. He wept over Jerusalem, and then he died for the city. Jesus lived today, I have no doubt that he would weep. And maybe the rains that we heard was Jesus weeping over our city. Not figured, not literally, but figuratively. He weeps over a city that he longs to see, embrace the shalom that he offers. Jesus says, God says, his word says, his people say the story is not yet done. And then he puts it in our hands to say, you're the hope of Christ to a world in need. 2007, I'll end here. 2007, Thailand. We have, we have workers, friends out there. A couple of our sisters are going to be going out to Thailand next month to visit with and, and work with and serve amongst our, our friends there. 2007, so a, a Christian group, much like Christina Grimmie and her little band, uh, a group called Blue Tree. They went to Thailand uh, doing some short-term missions. They were in a city called Patea, Patea, Thailand. They didn't know anything about it. They just, you know, they were excited to be there, excited to serve the city, excited to love the people there. When they got there, they uh, felt this huge sense of oppression, that city. And the way they say, they say it was sunny outside, but it was still so dark. A Patea, in the middle of Patea, the city is a street called Walking Street, which is the epicenter of the sex trade in, in Thailand, in that area. And they said they were disgusted at what they saw. Five-year-olds being brought by their family members and sold into that dark market. Five years old. They were grossed out, disgusted, infuriated. They saw elderly men walking hand-in-hand with children down this street. Who knows what would happen? And they couldn't just—they couldn't shake this sense of just disgust and, and hatred. But they realized, you know, we're in a dark place. We knew it was going to be dark. We're here to be light in this place. So there's this one local bar, and this bar owner said, hey, "I'll let you play. I'll let you play. You're a band. I'll let you play for free if you guys can bring us some Coca-Cola." <laughs> they said, "Yeah, we'll bring you some Coke." And so they brought him some soda, and they played and. They started doing this song and just overcome with emotion at the things that they saw and overcome with just the, the burden of emotion, all that was going on there. So the, the, the leader started playing this tune and he said, you know, and I, maybe some of you feel it, maybe as you go to different cities, you go to different towns, you worship here in, in Orlando, you begin to get a sense of, we had to feel God's heartbreaking for a people. I don't know if you've experienced that on a mission trip or you've gone somewhere and just feel as you worship, you just feeling and sensing God's heart. He said, I, I felt that for, for Patea, for Thailand, as we were doing our sound check. And the first song, they didn't know what they were going to do, but um, they just started playing this familiar beat as a band. And, and, and then they just felt like God was putting something into their spirit and just came out these words. Said, You're the God of this city. You're the king of these people. 
You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in the darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. Greater things are yet to come. And greater things are still to be done in this city. And they say, that's not just a song for Patea. It's a song for wherever you and I are. It's a song for our city. It's a song for Orlando. It's a song that says that here where we are, believe it. Greater things are yet to come. And greater things are still to be done in this city. So we seek the shalom of God. We seek the welfare of our city. We give ourselves to be the light in a dark place. And behold, he is making all things new. Let's pray. Let's uh, let's take a few moments uh, to respond to God's word. Maybe some of us have never before thought that I might be here for a reason other than my own career advancement. Some of you have heard the news of what happened in our city and thought that this was the work of someone else to do something about. Maybe for some of us, it's the first time that we've begun to think about what it would be to pray for my city. But we are here, my brothers and sisters, because God placed us here for such a time as this. Let's not be afraid. We're not dictated by fear. We're driven by love. Let's not be afraid of people because they're different. Let's not be afraid of people because we don't understand them. Let's move towards love, to build relationships, to understand, to embrace. Let's listen to stories. Listen, love, pray. Be the hands and feet of Christ. Let's pray a couple things. One, Lord, would you heal our city? Not healing our city with the good words of unity. Orlando strong, united city. Not with those things. The only hope for humanity is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray that our city would be built through the love of God. And yes, all of those things are important, and that's why we need to do those things. But it's not those things alone. Let's pray not only for our city to find hope in Christ, but let's pray, Lord, what is my role? Help me. Help me to get out into the world, to live boldly, to shine brightly, to be the hope of Christ into a world in need. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray for our city. Let's pray for ourselves. Lord, help us as we seek the welfare, the peace, the prosperity, as we seek the shalom of our city through praying, through loving, through whatever that looks like. Let's pray together for a few moments, and I'll pray for us, and we'll continue to worship the Lord God. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to weep for the city that he loved, to weep for the city that he called his own. Thank you that Jesus shows us what it is to live and to love from the inside out. Not just going to the cross because he had to, but going to the cross because he was glad to. It's love. It's grace. It's the salvation of the world. Help us to take the finished work of Christ and then to carry that forth into the world in our bodies. If it means to sacrifice, if it means to give up certain things that are difficult for us to give up, help us to be bridge builders between you and a world in need. And oftentimes that means that we get dirtied, that we get ridiculed, that we get stepped on. It means that we get uh, misunderstood. But Father, help us to do our best to lay down our lives in order that the kingdom might be built in our city and through our city to a world uh, in need. We thank you so much. Thank you so much. Pray these things in Jesus' name.